completing your good gifts and that we are encouraged to do so by you in the name of Jesus Christ. I pray now, Father, as we open the word to hear the closing exhortations of this wonderful sermon given by Jesus himself, that we would hear it as the words of our shepherd, uh, to turn uh, those who had run from him into his flock and to graciously keep and hold his flock, uh, to uh, be their good shepherd that keeps them from straying until we should be led into those sweet, safe pastures where we shall dwell in your care, praising and exalting Jesus for eternity. We thank you for the gift that you speak to us. May these be your words, empowered by your spirit this morning for your glory and the glory of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. So you've got your Bibles open to Matthew 7, verse 21. As Jesus is, is bringing the Sermon on the Mount to a close, he wants to leave us with some last exhortations. He's, he's now given us this rich introduction to his kingdom. What does it mean to be a citizen of his kingdom? It's righteousness, the heart of a citizen. Now he's going to exhort his listeners, exhort us to long for, to delight in, to cling to that kingdom, to persevere on the road to the internal, internal inheritance of that kingdom. He's told us it's the narrow way, it's the hard way, but it is the true way to eternal life in heaven with our Father. Jesus also warned us, we saw last week, that there's going to be false prophets who will claim to be his servants but will lead people off of the narrow way. False teachers will be evident by their fruit. You'll be able to see that while they claim Jesus as Lord, they are disinterested in the righteousness and pure heart, which loves a relationship with God, which defines a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. This brings us now to Jesus' concluding remarks. He says that we must not just consider the fruit of teachers, we must each examine ourselves. Are we happy simply to claim Jesus as Lord, to verbally assent to his lordship, or is he truly your Lord? Are we Christians in name only while we walk the road to destruction? Or will our hearts and our lives show that we are truly walking on the road to life? This is a challenging warning, but like the rest of God's word, it is graciously given for the salvation of the lost and the working of faith and discipleship in those who do belong to Jesus. So let's turn to look at Matthew 7. Verse, first, we'll look at verses 21 to 23. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Our first point this morning is this. Many people who think they are following Jesus will be rejected by him at the judgment. The Pharisees have been the main point of contrast with a citizen of Jesus' kingdom throughout this sermon. Jesus' audience 
are not Gentiles who never knew God or claimed to obey him. We know that he is preaching to a culture that acknowledges God as Lord, similar to a historically Christian culture or a culture within a church like ours. Jesus is eager to point out throughout this sermon to this culture what the Pharisees have exemplified, that many people who claim to know and follow God show by their fruit that they never actually knew him. Here at the close of his sermon, Jesus wants each of us to consider whether that is true of us. He wants us to examine our own hearts. The Pharisees claimed to love God, but their righteousness was motivated by their own loves and desire for gain. Their hearts were still enslaved to sin. Jesus says, we who claim him as Savior must be watchful over our own hearts and look at our own fruit. Jesus warns that on the day of judgment, when he will sit enthroned and judge all peoples and nations, many people who profess to know him and call him Lord will be cast away from him into destruction, into the wrath of hell that is reserved as the punishment for all those who have rebelled against God. Jesus says that these people will be cast out because they did not do the will of his Father. The righteous will of God he has been teaching us throughout this sermon. While they claimed to follow God, they disregarded Jesus' whole picture of being a citizen of God's kingdom. Now, Jesus is not preaching here that we are justified by our works, that it is doing God's will which saves us. What he is saying is that no one who is saved by the grace of God will hate and reject what God loves. To reject God's will or to only keep his commandments if it benefits us, will reveal that we were not actually ever citizens of Jesus' kingdom. Even our claim to Christianity was in service of worldly things that we desired. Look at Jesus' accusation against these pseudo-believers. He says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Jesus does not say that these people were a part of his kingdom, that they did know him and then lost their salvation because of their works. He says that their actions were evidence that they were never his. They were enemies of God and his righteousness, even as they called Jesus Lord. No one can claim allegiance to a king that they are actively disobeying. It would be like George Washington pausing in the middle of his battle against the British to swear his allegiance to the crown of England before he turns around and continues fighting. Friends, it is true that we are wonderfully only saved by grace, grace alone through faith alone. Call out to Jesus crucified and risen from the dead and you will be saved. But Jesus has shown us that everyone who is saved by his grace is radically changed, wonderfully changed. We are not perfected until we see him in glory, but even in this life we receive good gifts from God, chief among them the Holy Spirit, so that we can persevere along the road as citizens of Jesus' kingdom. We've been taught this throughout this sermon. We will live now with sin as an enemy rather than an enslaver. 
We will look at this high standard of righteousness that God has taught, shown us, and we will love that standard. We will be conformed to this heart that Jesus taught us in the Beatitudes. We will be poor in spirit. Realize we can't have this righteousness on our own. We will be mourning in repentance. We will hunger for true righteousness. When we're citizens of Jesus' kingdom, he said that even the world is going to be able to tell that we are different. We will be salt and light. The world will see that we visibly reflect God's glory, that we are flavoring this world with the aroma of Christ. So Jesus is warning here about the danger of claiming him as Lord while you are disinterested in God's will and his righteousness. To call someone Lord is to desire to obey him as Lord. Have you called Jesus Lord, but it is clear that you are serving other masters? Jesus also says here that those who did falsely claim him as Lord are going to cite before him many reasons why they believed that they were secure in their salvation. This shows that it was in fact these false confessors who were depending on their good works, their achievements and credentials for their salvation. They comforted themselves by citing certain actions that they felt would be proof to God that they should be admitted into his eternal rest. They could continue in lawlessness because they believed that these actions had secured their salvation. This is just what the Pharisees did. They believed God would approve of them because they had met certain religious requirements and standards, even while the majority of their thoughts and actions demonstrated that they were enslaved to sin and in love with this world. This has been the pattern of popes, corrupt politicians, televangelists. Jesus cites some of these false grounds for assurance. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Cast out demons in your name. Do many mighty works in your name. False teachers have exemplified this smoke and mirrors approach to Christianity. Keep your eyes on the supernatural works and the prophetic claims so that you will not examine these clearly wicked worldly lifestyles. They want us to shrug our shoulders and say, well, look, look at the amazing thing he did here. Look, look at what she prophesied. God has to be working through them somehow. Jesus exhorts us, do not be distracted by false fruits of salvation in others or in ourselves. The true fruit of salvation that Jesus himself tells us to look for is to love God and to love his kingdom and to love his righteousness. Claims to radical prophecy and exorcism were common marks of false assurance in Jesus' day. But we should also consider what might be the common marks of false assurance in our own context. What false evidence of salvation could we be trying to rest in even while our hearts and actions show that we do not love doing God's will? We might rest in being good church members and regular attenders. We might be good tithers and volunteers. We're much more involved in popular Christian culture than secular culture. We look very Christian in this way. We might even rest in our engagement with the Bible. We are good students of Scripture. We are very good at analyzing it. We like to find clever points. We love learning the finer things of theology and we can handle them with precision. We might be eager to prove that the Bible is true. That's a a favorite hobby of ours. 
We love finding fulfillments of prophecy in history and culture. Or we love defending the superiority of biblical morality in a secular culture. Or we love apologetics. We love arguments that prove the existence of God and the truth of biblical history. We must be Christians because we're so eager to demonstrate the truth of the Bible. There are many good things that can serve as false grounds of assurance. We can rely on these works as evidence that we must be saved. But Jesus says we can claim all of these wonderful grounds for assurance and still hear him say, I never knew you. We didn't know him. Isn't that what the Pharisees missed? In all of their hypocritical righteousness, they didn't know God. They didn't want to know him. And thus, they didn't want to know Jesus when God sent him. We can have good theology and not want Jesus. We can go to church every week and not love Jesus. None of this takes the place of seeing him on the cross, believing in him, repenting of our sin and exchanging all the glories of this world just to know him and love him as our savior and our Lord. So we who have professed belief in Jesus Christ must know what is the root of our confidence that when we see Christ on the day of judgment, we will be welcomed into his rest rather than cast away from him. Look back through this sermon. Look at the picture of citizenship in heaven that Jesus painted for us. Did you see those good standards of righteousness and want it? Want to be rid of anger and lust and unfaithfulness because you were hungry for that righteousness? Did you desire to throw aside any earthly treasures that were becoming idols to you so that you could serve and trust in God alone? Did you see and long for that sweet relationship with God as Father that Jesus showed us when our hearts are motivated to righteousness by the love of him alone, when we can come and pray to our Father in heaven? Did you say, I want to be free from anxiety by trusting in God and resting in his good gifts? Did you see the narrow way? Even see that it was hard and say that is worth any cost because that's the way to the joy of eternal life with God. Or were you happy to let Jesus' words pass you by? You acknowledged they were good, but they didn't reach your heart. After hearing the word again and again, your life still looks the same as your secular neighbors. You love the same things they do. You depend on the same worldly comfort and entertainment and financial security that they do. You're primarily concerned with your own interests and your family's interests. You would still resent anybody that treated you unfairly. You would still hate your enemy. Do your actions show that you are claiming Christ while serving other masters? Jesus' warnings here are for the sake of our salvation and our perseverance so that each of us may consider whether our fruit shows that we are truly the tree that we claim to be to guard us against verbally assenting to a gospel that we in truth have ignored and disregarded. 
Perhaps Jesus' words show you that despite what you have claimed, maybe even for years, you need to become a Christian. Or perhaps his warning will be used by the Holy Spirit to work in you a repentance for how you have been ignoring God's will. And that repentance will itself be wonderful evidence that you are God's child. Seeing how we have sinned and running to God in repentance is itself a glorious picture of what it means to love God and his kingdom. As we come to him, poor in spirit, mourning over our sin, and he offers us the kingdom of heaven and he comforts us. I pray that even those of us who truly do trust in Jesus, that for us these warnings would work perseverance in us, to ultimately offer us comfort by awakening us from slumber to see and repent of sin, even the sin of our past non-repentance, so that we can be assured that we rest in God's forgiveness. Jesus next draws this warning into a short parable, and this is the conclusion of his sermon. Look at verses 24 to 27 of Matthew chapter 7. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the wind blew and beat against the house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. In this passage, Jesus reiterates a similar warning to the one he's just given. The person in this parable who hears his words but doesn't do them is very similar to the person in the previous warning who called Jesus Lord but did not do the will of his Father. Here, Jesus contrasts that person with one who not only declares to have believed his words but demonstrates that belief by doing what he said. Our second point this morning is this. It is not enough to hear Jesus' teaching. We must do what he says. Jesus contrasts two men building a house. These men are looking for foundations on which to build their home. To build a house represents establishing your life. We set our lives, our hopes, our security on certain foundations. We rest our security in certain beliefs or hopes, realities. Everyone seeks a foundation on which to establish their life. Some work harder to find a secure foundation than others. The fool, in many ways, wants to build the same house as the wise man. He wants a Christian life. He wants to one day inherit a Christian's hope for eternity. So for a time, these two houses will look very similar. Both men have heard what Jesus has said and show many of the same basic markers of being a Christian. They go to the same church. They sit under the same teaching. They have the same Bible. They claim the same faith and the same hope. The houses are not revealed to be different until the storms come. There are many different kinds of storms. Some touch every person in this world, regardless of whether they are Christian or not. Sickness, death, hurt caused by the sin of others. But Jesus has already told us there will be other hardships for those who choose the narrow way. We will deal with the struggle of warring against sin instead of succumbing to it. 
fighting temptation rather than capitulating to it. We will deal with mocking or rejection, perhaps from our colleagues, our friends, even our family members. We will surrender the comforts of this world to Jesus. We will hold its treasures loosely rather than depend on them. So both these men, the wise man, the foolish man, they, they experience these storms and trials. The wise man's house is able to withstand them. Hurricanes can pour over it, wind and rain, and it cannot be moved. The fool's house topples when the storms begin to rage. It's then that we can see what made these two houses different. Even while they looked the same for a while, they rested on different foundations. One man chose a solid foundation for his home, another did not. One man sought out a foundation that would last forever. The other sought out a foundation that was pleasant and easy to build on. He did not take the time to consider whether or not that was a secure place to put his home. Hearing Jesus' words does not guarantee that we have made them the foundation of our home. Claiming to hear and know what Jesus says does not ensure that our house, our faith, our eternal security is resting on the true rock. To build our house on a truly solid foundation means hearing and doing what Jesus says. Once again, Jesus is not teaching that we get saved by our actions. All of us know that there are many things that we clearly do not believe unless we walk in that belief in what we do. We demonstrate that we believe the warning labels on our household items by drinking orange juice with our breakfast instead of Drano. We demonstrate we believe what our doctor says when we take our medication. We demonstrate we believe in gravity every time we are careful not to fall from a high height. These actions are evidence that we believe something. And if we did not do those actions, if we did otherwise, it would show that we had different beliefs. James resounds this point when he says faith is shown by works. And everyone who hears God's word but doesn't do it is deceiving himself that he had faith at all. The fool's house was always resting on the sand. Even while he claimed to have heard what Jesus said, he never believed it. He had never made what Jesus said the foundation for his home. If you are listening to this sermon, you are very likely someone who is used to hearing what Jesus said. You have likely heard the word preached to you many times. You have likely attended Bible studies where people have worked their way through God's word together. You have likely spent some time reading God's words on your own. So you have heard Jesus' words. There are many ways to hear without doing. Of course, we could outright reject what Jesus says. We can hear it and we can say, I don't want God as my father. I don't want Jesus' kingdom. But there are other ways to hear Jesus' words and not do them. Maybe you hear what Jesus says and you habitually forget it. You felt like just by coming to church, or turning on the live stream for now, sitting through the sermon, you did your Christian duty. That's what being a Christian is. I've done it. Then you walk away. You go about your day. And you forget everything that you heard. Maybe you're good at hearing and appreciating God's word. 
in your reading, in your study, in sermons, but you're only good at applying it to others. You've caught yourself saying, I'm so glad he's finally dealing with this problem that culture has, that people have, that people in my church have. I'm so thankful because I know that so-and-so really needed to hear that sermon about anger or lust or judgmentalism or anxiety. Maybe you like to hear God's word and you even like to add it to your body of knowledge. It's good information. You enjoy becoming an expert on spiritual or theological matters. You enjoy having the largest body of information, but that information never reaches your heart. It never changes your life. The Pharisees were masters at hearing the word and not doing it. They regularly attended the synagogue. They could recite the law forwards and backwards. They spent hours telling other people what it said, and they would, yet they would only acknowledge its standards when it benefited them. They showed regularly by their lives that they did not care. They even refused to carry out what God had said. Friends, the church is sadly filled with people who have become experts at hearing without doing. So many people are happy to be a part of the church. They like the moral teaching, the reputation for good citizenship. It's a good place to meet people or gossip or be recognized for our good work. It's good for your kids. It's a good thing for the family. You might find the teaching a little bit boring and grating. Maybe you like the good moral lessons. You like the comforts or you like the kicks in the pants. You might appreciate this high standard of righteousness. It's good to be a good person. You like thinking deep spiritual thoughts. On the surface, you love all of these marks of Christianity. But there is a wall between your ears and your heart. You can still walk away from hearing all that Jesus has said, and your heart is not changed. Your house still rests on the sands of this world and its comforts. It is a horrible thing to look back in history and see how entire churches have been rendered completely useless to God, absolutely indistinguishable from the world and the culture around them, totally devoid of salt and light. Hundreds of thousands of so-called Christians have claimed the name of Jesus and had no interest in doing what he said, and they were unprepared for the storms of life. The judgment of God will be the final wave that utterly washes away any house that is built on any other foundation than the true rock. So friend, this is the closing exhortation of Jesus' great sermon. It is not a point to be forgotten or to be applied to your neighbor. It is for you. And it is for me. You have heard Jesus' words. If I asked you right now if you believed them, you would likely say yes. What Jesus has said is true. Will you do what he says? Will you respond to what you have heard by doing it? 
what he has said about the heart of a citizen of his kingdom, about the wickedness of anger, lust, dishonesty, about the true righteous motivations of practicing righteousness, even practicing it in secret, praying in secret to honor God alone, about not being judgmental or anxious, not storing up your treasures on this earth. Have you let those words from Jesus reveal your sin to you so that you can repent? Can his words reveal your idols to you so that you can take your eyes off of them and trust in God alone? Has God's word grown your love of God, your love of the gospel? Is your foundation the truth? Are you being built up on the true rock? One day, those storms will test and expose the foundations of your house. Are you ready? Are you ready for sickness, injury, or loss? Are you prepared to lose your job or face a downturn in the economy? Are you ready to face strife in your family, to be rejected by the people that you most loved and leaned on? Are you ready to give up the entertainments you love most if they are leading you away from God to delight in this world and even sin? Are you prepared if our culture grows in opposition to Christianity, if more of your friends and family judge and despise you because you hold to beliefs the world finds intolerable? Are you ready if the road is hard and following Christ comes with a cost? This, this is only a short list of the possible storms that you could face in your lifetime. I don't know what each of you are going to experience, but the storms will come. Anyone who's lived in this world long enough knows that they have come and they will continue to come. The wind and the rain that beats against the side of your house, testing its foundations. The wise man has a secure foundation that is ready for any storm because he heard what Jesus said and those words went to his heart. They cut him to his heart. And out of that heart flowed actions which showed the man trusted what was said and believed it and wanted to live by it. The wise man heard Jesus' words. He heard Jesus say, even in this passage, that the storms were coming. So he said, I want to make my house secure. He desired to come to Jesus poor in spirit. He wanted to see that he had nothing apart from Jesus. He searched out his motivations so that he could practice righteousness for God alone. He saw how his anxiety revealed worldly desires in his life, and so he sought to be rid of those to put his trust in God alone. The wise man truly believed that Jesus' sermon, that all of God's word was about him, that it was the way of life given to him. And he didn't just claim that it was good. He loved that goodness and let it direct his every step along the narrow way. He let it lead him to repentance when he strayed, to hold on to faith and hope, to keep his house secure, ready for the worst storms. Jesus gives us a gift in this warning. It is good to be shaken by what he says 
about his coming judgment and the house with foundations. Jesus wants you to be the wise man. For some of us, this warning is a gift so that we can put our house on new foundations so that we can believe what Jesus said and be saved. But for all of us, by the Spirit of God, this warning is a gift to hear that we need to make our foundations more secure by not just hearing Jesus' words, but doing them. He wants us to know the real joy and comfort of having a foundation that is prepared before the storms come, ready for any storm. If you have been drifting off of the secure foundation, if you've stopped repenting of sin, can't remember the last time that you realized you were wrong. If you've started hearing God's word more out of duty, being a good Christian, than hearing it as a gift for you, for your salvation, your sanctification. If you've started to shift your comfort and your rest onto those worldly treasures and comforts that you're enjoying, rather than your eternal inheritance. Jesus wants to call you back to look at wisdom. Look at the joy of resting on the rock. And that's not just to call you back to obedience to God. Remember, righteousness is God's character. To be righteous is to know and enjoy God. By warning you to make your foundation sure, Jesus doesn't just want to call you back to right actions and thoughts. He wants to call you to God. He wants you to rest secure in your relationship with God. To rest on the rock is not just to think and act rightly. It is to trust in and delight in God himself. The rock is not just a body of true knowledge. The rock is God. Indeed, the rock is Jesus himself. All through this sermon, as Jesus has called us to love the kingdom of heaven, he's calling us to recognize the king of that kingdom. The Sermon on the Mount does not primarily confront us with the question, what is being taught here? The first and most important question it puts to its hearers is, who is this teacher? We see this in the response of the crowd in verses 28 and 29. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowd were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. The scribes and the Pharisees, even at their very best, could only teach with a derived authority. At best, they could hold up God's law and say, this is what God has said. But Jesus handles God's word with unique authority over it. The authority of the one who gave it. Not even Moses could do that authority when he taught, have that authority when he taught Israel the law. Jesus is proclaiming a kingdom with the authority of the king over it. A unique authority greater than David or Solomon. He's even offering new revelation from God. He's not just passing on words from God like the prophets did, faithfully did. He's saying things to us, thus I say to you. He's declaring absolute truth as God. Jesus has not just been calling us to his kingdom, he has been calling us to the king, to himself. Our last point this morning is this, believe in Jesus, the king of heaven. Know why this is the good news of the kingdom of heaven by recognizing its good king. Throughout this sermon, 
this very first major declaration of Jesus' kingdom, he has even here started to demonstrate and show, to open people's eyes to the true extent of his authority. He's the one who has authority in the Beatitudes to pronounce who will receive eternal blessings in the kingdom and the blessings they will receive. He also, we have seen today, will be the one who judges those who will be rejected from his kingdom. He's compared suffering for his sake with the prophets who suffered for the sake of God, showing that to follow God and to follow him are one and the same thing. He's told us that only those who call him Lord will enter his kingdom, and not only that, but those who demonstrate they have believed in his lordship by doing the will of his father. He's shown throughout this sermon that the will of his father and his own will are one and the same. He's also said that he is the one who has come to fulfill the law and to establish it forever. Throughout this sermon, Jesus has been revealing himself as the king of the kingdom of heaven, the Messiah, sent to rescue God's people and reign over them forever. And if you continue reading on in Matthew's gospel, you'll see that Jesus continues more and more to demonstrate and teach and show who he is, to show the true extent of his authority. He moves on from here to heal the sick, to calm storms, to cast out demons. He demonstrates his moral perfection, his perfect righteousness, that he is no slave to sin. He shows he has divine power. He continues to teach and demonstrate this kingdom so different than the kingdoms of the Gentiles that his people saw and knew. And then he himself becomes the entrance into the kingdom. He died on the cross. He bore the weight of God's wrath. He experienced the rejection that is deserved by God's enemies. He knew what it felt like to hear God say, I do not know you. And he did this for us. So that if we believe in him, if we repent of our rebellion against him, serving lawlessness, if we cry out to him, then we are saved by him. He rose from the dead, the firstborn from the dead, so that all those who trust in him will be eternally established in his kingdom and in his rest with his heavenly father forever. Jesus has not just been pointing us to the kingdom of heaven. He has been pointing you to himself. He is the rock that we are meant to build our whole lives on. To hear what Jesus says and do it is not just to obey what he tells you, but to delight in the words of your Savior. Do not be like the Pharisees. Don't claim to love God and his words while you reject a relationship with God himself. How many of even these people who were astonished to hear Jesus' teaching who recognized he had a unique authority, how many of them would later abandon him when his teaching got too challenging or when they saw that the way was hard, that Jesus never promised following him would be easy? How many of these people went back to the treasures of this world or at least were too afraid of hardship in this world, of persecution or opposition? How many of these people 
those who heard that this sermon was astonishing, eventually joined with the crowd to cry out for the one who preached it to be crucified. If you say you are a Christian, if you have heard Jesus' words, then you are challenged. Don't just say this is a good sermon. Do what he tells you. Love what he has said about righteousness. Because that is how you can know and delight in Jesus. The rock. The one whom we are invited to know. Through him we're invited to know God and enter into his kingdom. Jesus is the only secure foundation in which you can rest your life. If you want sound theology, may it be to know who God is and delight in knowing him and Christ who he has sent. If you like reading your Bible, if you love it, may it be to hear his words and be led by them every day. If you want to come to church, may it be to rejoice in his grace with those who share in his salvation. If you want to be righteous, may it be to know his character and do what pleases him. None of this is anything but Pharisaism without knowing, trusting, and loving Jesus. But if we do love him, all of these things become sweet gifts from the Spirit for our joy and our perseverance. So friend, don't be like those worldly people who call this sermon good moral teaching, but have no interest in knowing Jesus as anything other than their good moral teacher. May you not be like those who feel that they have done their whole duty just by hearing what Jesus says without actually believing it and living out of that belief. You have heard Jesus' words. You've heard them throughout this Sermon on the Mount. And those words demand nothing less than radical submission to the exclusive lordship of Jesus Christ. Do not reject what Jesus has said in this sermon by ignoring or refusing to love and submit to Jesus, giving your life to serve him and his kingdom. May none of us on the day of judgment be revealed to be pseudo-Christians, false professors who claim to hear Jesus' words but never actually wanted Jesus. If you have never trusted in Jesus, if you do not know him as your perfect Lord, because you've never known him as your wonderful Savior. Whether you've never heard or understood the gospel before, or whether you have claimed to have heard it, but never actually believed it. Let false teachers lead you astray, or even let your own heart give you a false sense of righteousness for the sake of worldly gain. If for any of those reasons you do not know Jesus, then believe in him now. Do not delay Run off the road to wrath and judgment and destruction. Put your trust in Jesus Christ who died on the cross to save sinners like you. Repent of your sin and call out to him to be saved. Recognize him as the Lord of heaven and know him as Lord of your life now. Rest your house on the rock of Jesus Christ and your house will be secure now and for all eternity. And then brothers and sisters, may we as a church be a household that rests on the cornerstone, on the rock of Jesus Christ. 
May we live for his kingdom even now. If we are perhaps becoming comfortable just to be church members, to relegate our faith to one corner of our lives while we serve worldly things, may Christ work these warnings to wake us up, to call us back to the joy of himself. These warnings are a part of the kingly way he uses his word to hold on to us so that we might each persevere on the road to his kingdom. Even in these warnings, Jesus is drawing us nearer to him, to trust him alone, to rest more securely on the rock that is our Savior and Lord. As we hear these warnings and exhortations, may we use them to encourage one another. May we exhort one another not just to hear Jesus' words, but to do them. To not just love the Sermon on the Mount, but to love Jesus who preached it. To long to live by every word he has given us and every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Let us help each other in the work of letting God's word bore into our hearts so that by his spirit we can receive his good gifts. Those things which prepare us to enjoy an eternal inheritance. If any of us has started resting on false grounds of assurance, may we warn and help each other so that we would all confidently rest on Jesus alone, living lives that bear fruit, which show the amazing power the gospel has worked in our hearts to cause us to flee from sin, flee from lust and anger and unrighteousness and dishonesty and worldly treasures, and to run to Christ with all of our hearts. And if we do that for each other as a church, may we offer all the glory for our faithfulness, for the joy that we have, for the inheritance that we hope for. May all the glory for that go to our wonderful King, Jesus Christ. Praise God that Jesus came. Praise God that he revealed this kingdom to us and that he saved us. He made a way for sinners like you and I to enter into his kingdom. Praise God and praise Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for Jesus Christ. I thank you for the king of the kingdom of heaven who came down, who made himself the least among us to offer to sinners a place in his eternal kingdom where he will sit gloriously enthroned forever. Father, I pray that none of us would claim to have heard what Jesus said and to ignore it, to reject it, to forget it, to leave it by the wayside, to leave our lives unchanged. I pray that we would not accept false grounds of assurance. We would accept nothing less than loving Jesus Christ as our Savior. May he be the rock of everyone in this church family. And when we stray from that solid rock, may we call each other back. Be called back by your word and your spirit to rest in Jesus Christ alone. Father, I thank you that our King is the Good Shepherd who leads and shepherds and guides his sheep until they are brought home safely to you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.